hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. We are a third, no, we're about to be a third of the way through the Daleks master plan. It's not slowing up in any way, shape or form. Um, it's proving to be a riveting ride. Mm. I am here with the glorious, the studious, the charismatic and handsome, yeah, taste your own bloody medicine, Jason <laughs> How are you holding up? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. Yes, it's uh, as you say, the story isn't letting up at all. So, previous podcasts, you might be coming to the end at this point, but no. Nope, whereas you say, by the end of this, we'll be a third of the way through this story. So, and as we just said off uh, off recording, there's so much going on in this story. There's just the conversation cannot dry up. There's just too much going on. Um, well, if you press play. I've got a big question for you that is relevant to the beginning of this episode. Okay, in that case, I will count anyone in who's listening along. So it's five, four, three, two, one, play. You know, I don't know anyone that actually does that, you know. I mean, I count them in every time. For, uh, 200 odd episodes I've done of this. I don't know if any single person has done it alongside the episodes. I think we would just listen to them. Probably right, but, you know, just in case. <laughs> Okay, my question is this. Should Doctor Who companions die? Is it acceptable that Doctor Who companions are killed off? Yes. Oh, that's a very succinct answer. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, did you want some follow-up? <laughs> well, okay, so I'll, I'll, let me give it a bit of context before you, you explain your answer. So I've heard people say it's irresponsible to kill off Doctor Who companions. Um, and I've heard people like defend Stephen Moffat's approach of killing them off and then bringing them back. So having the drama of the situation and then making good on it. I've heard people say that Doctor Who companions should die because every now and again, we need to shut up the arse to be reminded that these are dangerous adventures. Like I've heard lots of different answers. What's your take? Um, <clears throat> I think my take is uh, similar to that last one. Every so often, I think it should happen um, because these are dangerous situations that they get into. And I think John Nathan Turner had it right in that, um, especially when you had the Doctor and Romana toddling around the universe, you know, two very intelligent alien, long-lived alien beings came across as pretty much invincible and you do get this sort of cynical oh the main characters can't die so where's the drama kind of attitude sometimes especially if they get into endless perilous situations and so I think JNT's decision to kill off one of the companions to just make the doctor and his team vulnerable and bring the drama back was was absolutely correct um and so yeah I think every so often if you can do it well and I think this story does it well and I think Earthshock did it well. <clears throat> I think, yeah, fine. Kill the companion every so often. Um, I don't rate Stephen Moffat's approach to killing people off and then bringing them back. I think the whole problem, um, the whole issue of death being a temporary problem and easily fixed during his period, I found quite wearing after a while um, because I felt that it did remove the drama because we were still 
presented with death scenes that were dramatic music and sad slow motion montages and people being very upset and then oh they're, no they're fine again and that because it kept happening i think it took away the um it took away a lot of the drama and although i completely agree with stephen moffat's statement that you know this is a, a fantasy escapism series and death is something that we all have to deal with in reality so let's not have it be an issue in doctor who let's not have people dying <coughs> um, you know let's not have to deal with this grim reality that we all face every day anyway i think that's fine i think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but i don't think the best way of doing that is to have everyone confront that grim reality and then have it undone you know if you want to give people a happy ending just don't kill them in the first place you know <laughs> so that's where that's where my my view on it is not that i haven't enjoyed a lot of the episodes that stephen moffat has done and some of them you know have been very well uh, very well executed but i think the fact that he just kept on doing it no it, it didn't work for me very very often the, the murder itself the murder is more satisfying than what eventually happens to those characters which is usually a bit wishy-washy and fantasy based and you know shoulder shrugging how do you think this rates then now the pictures are moving again we can see katarina struggling inside the airlock peter purvis is screaming his head off does this up the stakes for the story oh absolutely this is one of doctor who's most tense scenes everyone is giving it their all everyone is really you buy into this drama because of as you said earlier in, in part three peter purvis's response to what's happening is is driving it William Hartnell is snappy and oh okay we'll do and then this I'll go quiet here because you have to get this wow and I think the genius of this is the fact that I don't think the audience thought they would go through with it no I'm sure they didn't that's uh, the shock of it it's like has that just happened yeah and that's replicated in Earthshock, isn't it? Like, I think in Earthshock, I don't think anyone suspected that a Doctor Who companion could be written out that way. No, I don't think they did. Uh, but what's brilliant about this is not only um, not only the acting that went on to the, the lead up to it, but the fact that now we're dealing with that stunned silence as they all try to come to terms with what's happened. They're not someone it's not like somebody's just died and now the story carries them off to something else they haven't got time to stop and think about what's happened well, know, I just about Hartnell on character moments and this is absolutely one of those moments where he is haunted yeah it is it is astonishing it's astonishing bit of television I think and I think it's all the more astonishing that it's kind of like a family show you know yeah and doctor who had never done anything quite that dramatic up to this point well i mean uh, you've got a woman that's being manhandled fairly brutally there it is very adult for doctor who like doctor who isn't this adult very often no it's not and it's so well executed it's it's not just a throwaway moment it's it has an impact and we're allowed to sit with that impact for a while 
before the plot carries on with the Daleks and everything else. And I think that's brilliantly done. And what's astonishing is the second companion death in this story is even more, even better executed, even more dramatic. And because we hang around with that character far more and get to know her and get to like her, but is two in one story too much? Like, is evil creeping into Doctor Who? I don't think I would go that far. I wouldn't want to see it too often. Um, but I also think it's two in one story. Yeah, okay. But one is in episode four and one is in episode 12. They're two months apart in terms of viewing. You know, it's not like we've lost them all in the space of one or two episodes. But then, obviously, at the end of the massacre, well, there's a massacre, and the inference is that actually Anne Chaplet dies, like before they say, oh, you know, maybe she's a, a relation of Anne Chaplet. Like, that's a throwaway bit to try and please people. But I think, the, you know, the idea is the doctor sends her off to her death. So having one, two, three deaths on the bounce and two stories, I mean, is it a bit much? I don't know. I don't think so. Have we lost hope in Doctor Who? Possibly. <laughs> okay. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, wow, this is this is much deeper than I was expecting. Uh, for, for the benefit of the people listening are probably, you know, having their lunch or whatever. It's now 11 o'clock at night on Friday. So, <laughs> yes. Um, but like, you know, I know like I, we've got a mutual friend, Sai Har, and absolutely like hope in Doctor Who is his thing. Yeah. Hope and humour in Doctor Who is his thing. And he doesn't really like grim, gritty, you know, hopeless Doctor Who. Um, I mean, there's a risk of alienating your audience a bit with this approach. It's a very adult approach. There is. But on the other hand... In the second half of this story, we have a completely frivolous comedy episode mm. and we have a comedy character popping up for a period as well, which provides some levity to this. I think if this was all, if this was 12 episodes of this kind of tone, I think you might possibly have a point. Um, I think it might be a bit much for three months of unremitting, unrelenting murder of, you know, death and universal domination and conspiracies and all that kind of stuff but we have quite a comedic interlude at the second half before we finish off the story <clears throat> so how do you how do you find the mid to late sword era then where it's a massacre in every other story i think there's still in a lot of them there's still a lot of fun in them uh, there's still a lot of comedy in those ones, but I do think that uh, <clears throat> Eric Sayward's attitude to Doctor Who was perhaps not my cup of tea. I mean, I've got a lot of nostalgia for that period because that's when I started watching it on the telly. I was watching um, Doctor Who in the, in the late 80s, um, mid to late 80s. And so I have a lot of nostalgic love for that period. But in terms of some of his things that he said about Doctor Who is like things like 
you know, the Doctor's hardly in this story and you don't miss him. I said, well, why are you writing Doctor Who if you're not going to write the Doctor into it? You know, it's... He wanted to write the Lytton Adventures, that's why, or the Orson well, Adventures. Yeah, you, you want to write, you want to, you want to create these other worlds, that's fantastic. And, you know, generally speaking, he does it quite well. <clears throat> um, but a lot of Eric Sayward's stories in his periods felt like he was writing a story that he was forced to include the Doctor in, but didn't really want to. And that made me wonder why you were writing them in the first place, you know, and it's notable that in The Visitation is a bit of an aberration because it was his first one, so it's quite different. But when he comes to, when it comes to Earthshock, um, Attack of the Cybermen, Revelation of the Daleks, at the end of all of those, the Doctor picks up a gun and shoots the enemy. Yeah. Yeah, which is very un-Doctor Who in many ways. Um, isn't he the one that gets the time destruction going in this? Yes, he is. So he's responsible for Sarah <laughs> Kingdom's death, technically. Well, technically, yes, except he did tell her to go back to the TARDIS and she disobeyed him. So, you know. But, you know, it's interesting because you say about the Doctor ducking out of the story. Well, in Mission to the Unknown, it doesn't feature William Hart at all. In the Egypt sequences, he vanishes for the length of a Bible. Like, there's a load of sequences in, in the Egypt sequences where he's not there at all. And then in the penultimate episode, I believe, he's not in that either, is he? Uh, no, he's hardly in that one at all. But I think what they've done is they've, they've created a setting and a cast of characters that are so strong. Mavic Chen, the Daleks, the Delegates, Sarah Kingdom, Stephen that actually this story holds up even when the doctor ducks out of the action for a bit absolutely absolutely this as i said this is 12 episodes long but it holds my attention for the entire time and i said i've, I've done it all in one sitting before now uh, <clears throat> I've oh, death, i can't remember what else happens in this episode sorry after katarina's death i can't remember what else happens in this episode <laughs> This is where we meet Sarah Kingdom. So Katarina's died and we've got her replacement coming up. Uh, oh, that's right. And he wants to, she's a space security agent. He wants to send her off after the doctor to get the Terranium call back. Exactly, yes. That didn't go according to plan then, did it? Not, not really. I mean, it nearly did, but not quite. <laughs> well, okay, so I've got a question as well, because at the end of this episode, right? Yeah. She shoots Brett Vine and we realise in a very soapy twist in the next episode that that's her brother, right? Yeah. And then suddenly she just changes size like that. Like, is this convincing characterization? Because I, I don't know. One, I would be, you know, mourning the loss of my brother for a bit longer than she does. And two, I, I don't, you know, she's portrayed as utterly evil and ruthless in this episode. And all of a sudden she's, you know, everyone's busy mate. I think it's quite believable, but I'll come on to that in episode five when the switch happens. And as far as mourning her brother goes, I mean, okay, you say you'd mourn your brother a lot more. Would you if you had the Daleks after you, or would you be rather more concerned with your immediate threat? <laughs> well, well, this brings up another point, actually, that I made recently in Logopolis, uh, the commentary for Logopolis, with another Jason, but uh, bizarrely, uh, where Tegan's told that Auntie Vanessa's dead, and then, you know, she mourns her for a scene, and then she's dashing around Logopolis, you know, for the rest of the episode with a big smile on her face, knowing she's going back to Earth. And I'm like, this is in no way, like, convincing characterization. But I don't think Doctor Who in the classic series has the capacity 
to deal with the consequences of people losing people like that like it's just not in its purview is it to, to hang around for an episode whilst we mourn the loss of a relative no the the narrative structure and the time constraints of telling the story in in the available time don't really give you the option to to dwell on it for long so you know we did get that scene in the spa after katarina has ejected herself into space where they have a little bit of a a bit of a mourn and, mm. and a little speech and then we're back to the actual plot because you know we have to keep the story moving so <clears throat> well then why do they keep bloody killing off relatives then if they can't deal with it <laughs> poor old nissa loses loses her dad and then loses her planet she gets one scene and then she's on with the action because you don't want them to have any ties you don't want them to be wanting to go home all the time do you i mean look what happened in the new series where they keep going home every so often it's, oh dear oh dear oh dear oh <laughs> it was all the master imagine an, an 80s story where nissa is plot exacting the revenge against the master for the destruction of trouble i mean that would just be wicked and then mind. that's that's a, a different era and a different story but yeah but like this does do the same thing it does it, it has a moment to mourn and then off we go off we go to the great exhibition never mind adric <laughs> we did just talk across um one of the things that i know it's a very a very classic trope of television for a very long time and film as well mm -hmm. um which uh actually um raised the laugh at the galaxy four screening the the use of a woodwind instrument when a woman enters the room <laughs> especially with with sarah kingdom when we've been just told oh our security agent kingdom is coming and we assume it's going to be a man and then it's revealed oh my god it's a woman and the script says you know her masculine attire just highlights her femininity and things like that and i wouldn't be at all surprised if we recovered the episode and found that the camera started at her feet and panned up yeah. the full length to give us a long lingering look at her because that's um, oh my god it's a woman oh. <laughs> you know, i'm gonna defend doctor who for a second because i think um the use of a woodwind instrument to introduce a female character yes it's it's you know it is absolutely signaling femininity and and you know it, it is pushing into a cliche but i don't think it's as bad as like original star trek where they use that horrendous fuzzy filter every time that it's on a woman and you've got that romantic filter and the ridiculous music and it goes back to a man it's all clear again oh no classic star trek was terrible i recently um re-watched the whole lot or actually saw some episodes for the first time um and yeah it's it's bad um there are even whole episodes that are really really bad in their attitude towards the women that are in the them last one remember the last one where the woman's pissed off because she's not allowed to be a captain oh god don't even what a terrible terrible way to finish the series <laughs> or even worse what about that episode where i'm sorry completely off topic now but that episode where kirk gets split into two and then heads off to old yeoman rand's quarters and he practically bloody rapes her i mean it's horrific in defense of that episode though that's the point he's been split into animalistic and emotional personalities so one of them is all his animalistic urges and yeah okay that's fine but the worst episode has got to be requiem for methuselah 
absolutely yeah. terrible because it starts off with a great premise that a long-lived human was important historical figures and it gives you a it looks like it's going to be a story about the problems of immortality and and living through the ages and everything and it turns out that he's just devoted his time to creating the perfect woman who immediately falls for kirk and Kirk immediately falls for her in the space of about two hours to the point where he forgets that half his crew are actually dying and they've gone to the planet to get an antidote for the disease. Is and it, it even serious, has the line, it even has the line, stay out of this spot, we're fighting over a woman. No. Is it a series three episode? It is a series three episode. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible episode. I can't stand that one. And no, there's the, not woman, even... the woman, uh, she's an artificial woman and she basically keels over and dies because she can't cope with the emotions because you know woman <laughs> so in terms of sexism right what's really interesting is uh moffitt uh portrays the first doctor as a horrific sexist in twice upon a time and yet there uh, there's none of that none of it at all in hartnell throughout his entire run i don't think there's one overly sexist moment from him no no, I, I agree. Um, oh, this is another one of Hartnell's brilliant scenes as well, where he uncovers the conspiracy because the guy has dropped himself in it by revealing that he knows about the terrarium. <laughs> yeah, I love <laughs> like that. So, that's, uh, that, that crops up in Terry Nation scripts a few Remember times. Remember that bit in Keys Marinus where the guy's like, you can't possibly know about that because I... Oh, <laughs> no, for God's sake. Twice. Twice. <laughs> Twice that revelation happens Obviously, in Keys of Marinus, but at least here it makes a bit more, bit more well presented. He really went for it in his death scene as well, that scream. <laughs> if you're going to die in Doctor Who, you may as well go for it. Half the guest cast of Resurrection of the Daleks will follow that rule. Oh, God, the disco, yeah. <laughs> I want to say, though, as well, I, now I'm going to defend original Star Trek a little bit, because I won't even pretend that Doctor Who ain't above putting... Uh, female characters in the 60s in situations of near rape because that happens in Keys of Marinus oh, yeah. it happens for comic effect in the Romans and it definitely happens in the Time Meddler oh yeah absolutely it's not you know not not setting Doctor Who out above other things here it's it's very much of its time it has the attitudes of the time and it's uncomfortable viewing at times um it's probably yeah. worth remembering uh, that as well that Sarah Kingdom, Sarah Kingdom starts off as this kind of overtly masculine space policewoman, but come the Egypt episode, she's like she's become a, a quivering mess in the face of a potential mummy, you know. <laughs> very true, very true. What is that with that guy's face? That's uh, that's an odd little continuity thing. This the reconstruction is using the pictures of Trantis from Mission to the Unknown, um, where he had all these weird tendrils on his face. But then we got Episode Two back, and Trantis doesn't have those in a, in Master Plan <laughs> at all. So kind of bizarre. Is, hang on, is Trantis the the Welsh miner from the Green Death? Yeah. Oh, so he had quite a big role then. He did. Yeah. Wasn't he a miner in Monster Peladon as well? He may well have been. I can't remember off the top of my head, to be honest. They say in the Green Death, there'll never be another miner like Bert. And then in the next series, there is one exactly like Bert. More miners, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Sorry, I've totally nicked that wholesale from Stephen Alexander. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, look at that still of Hartnell doing his like thoughtful uh, finger on lips pose. Yes. Um, is this is this the point where I mentioned my story about my ex-husband walking in on me watching a reconstruction and finding it the most appalling thing in the world that I was watching still images of Doctor Who as entertainment? Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> the not we will never understand, will they? <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes I think they're probably right and we're mental, but I still watch it all the same. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and these are an absolute labour of love. Um, the, the work that's gone into them is, is superb. Oh, there's Nicholas Courtney who's just been shot just in time to avoid having him in the next episode and having to pay him again. I hope he didn't look like that, because that looked like a very balletic death. <laughs> Who knows? Oh no, look at him on the floor! Did you see him? His eyes all off. <laughs> oh my god, moving pictures, Jason. Man, I'm excited. Moving pictures indeed. <clears throat> oh god, this is the most Terry Nation line I can possibly think of. But aim for the head. It's not just like, just yeah, you could just say, just kill them. Kill them. Kill them. Yeah. No, 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 no. Aim for the head, all right. So you make sure they're properly dead. Yeah. <laughs> Christ. Um. Blimey, oh, yeah, we've gone through five episodes in no time at all. I know. Um, we're a third of the way through the story. I've got a treat for you because the next episode's moving again. The next episode is indeed more moving images, but for the listeners, that will happen presumably tomorrow as you're listening to it but for us we're going to take a break at this point because it's now 20 past 11 and we're both pretty knackered so <laughs> <laughs> but we'll be back to see sarah kingdom become the companion of the story very soon indeed we will